Amen. Let me encourage you, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles with me now to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, we will be looking this morning at Philippians 1. We'll read verses 12 through 18. As you turn there, uh, it might be helpful to know that Philippians is one of Paul's uh, prison epistles. So Paul is writing to this congregation in Philippi from prison. Paul, the the great apostle, bringing the the gospel to the Gentiles. He is in prison for his labors. And even from prison, his heart is set on this congregation in Philippi. And this is a a letter uh, deeply affectionate. Paul loves this little congregation. Uh, This has been called Paul's affectionate letter. And he loves this congregation. He has prayed for them. He has given praise to God for them in the passage right before where we will pick up this morning. But this is a a sweet passage um, this morning as we come to verses 12 through 18. Before we read, would you once more uh, go with me to the Lord in prayer? Let's pray for the reading of God's word for help to hear it. Would you pray with me? Father, it is no small thing that we come to your word now. Father, would you help us to hear from your word? Would you help us to believe your word? And would you help us as we seek to apply your word to our day-by-day life? Would you give us hope? Would you give us joy? And Father, I do ask this morning that you would help me to be faithful in proclaiming this good news and proclaiming this message. Father, would you give me faithfulness? Would you give me boldness? And would you give me freedom by your spirit? Father, we praise your name. We come now to your word. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Reading now from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. This is God's word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that, it, so, that, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Amen. We praise God for his word. We ask that he write its truths on our hearts. Some of you here this morning may remember cassettes and uh, VHSs. Looking around the room, maybe some of you don't. And now that a good portion of you maybe feel a little old, um, 
I want you to think about those VHSs, those cassette tapes that for so many of us we grew up with. Were you ever tempted? Were you ever tempted with that cassette tape to, to want to pull out the tape? Yeah? Yeah. I was too, and I actually gave in one time. Uh, maybe to my shame, but it was a lot of fun. I pulled out that tape, and it just kept coming. It kept bun- bundling in my lap. It was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was fun. I'll admit it. But what I wanted to do as I was pulling out that tape was I wanted to know, how does this VHS work? How does it work? What's, what's the stuff of this videotape? And that, that strip of tape is really what makes the tape work. It's what does all the work of, of the tape. What I want to do this morning as we consider our passage is, is really to, to pull on the tape of our passage, to, to pull on it. And to see what is it that the, the Lord has for us here. And we're, we're going to keep pulling. And as we pull, we're, gonna, we're really going to see one message in, in sort of three parts this morning. One message for us in three segments. And so we'll keep pulling the tape as we go along. And really the three segments could be summed up this way. Proclamation, providence, and confidence. Proclamation, providence, and confidence. And I want to set those three segments of the tape within the whole of the message. This is what I believe the Lord is, um, has for us as we pull on the tape. It's this. Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God for the confidence of believers. So as we consider those three segments, proclamation, providence, and confidence, We come to the greater message, Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God, for the confidence of believers. And I want to take that that message piece by piece as we work through the passage. And so first we'll come to Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed throughout our passage as as we consider these verses. Again and again, Paul comes to the going forth, the proclamation of Christ, of Christ. Over and over again, he speaks of Christ and the message of Christ. He speaks of the advancement in verse 12 of the advancement of the gospel. What is the gospel but Christ and him crucified? And what is the advancement of the gospel but that message of Christ and him crucified being proclaimed to ears, to hearts, And so more and more are hearing the gospel as Christ is proclaimed. And in verse 13, Paul will say, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Even Paul's imprisonment, we'll see, is proclaiming the gospel. He is a witness. And he speaks of those who will, because of his imprisonment, become bold to preach the gospel. Christ is proclaimed. Paul says, again and again to us. Verses 14 to 17, Paul will speak of the boldness of those who are proclaiming Christ. There will be some who will proclaim Christ for uh, different motivations than perhaps Christ himself. I'm sorry, other than Paul himself would. He will speak of those who are proclaiming Christ out of envy or rivalry. And so there's 
there are mixed reasons for why these, these people are proclaiming Christ. But Paul says Christ is still being proclaimed. Christ is still proclaimed, even if false motives lie behind it. Christ is proclaimed again and again. The, the word of God is going forth, both directly by Paul and even his imprisonment is, is igniting the going forth of the gospel. Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. It is Paul's labor. It's been his labor, even in prison. It's on his mind. It's on his heart. It's, it's his joy, he says at the end of our passage. And in that I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Brothers and sisters, we live in a day and a time in which other messages, other gospels only called false gospels are being proclaimed. You are swimming in the waters of many and manifold gospels being proclaimed to you for you to believe. Pervading our culture and the evangelical church broadly is really the proclamation of the self, isn't it? Proclamation of the self, of individuality, gospel of humanism. We actually just, what, about a month removed from an entire month that is devoted to the, to the praise of self. June is an important month for those who believe that gospel, isn't it? The gospel of self is proclaimed and you are instructed to believe it. You are instructed to believe it. You are instructed to perpetuate it. Or else you'll be labeled an unclean unbeliever. The pull to to join ranks is strong. Let me speak for just a moment to you young people in the room. Because for you, this is especially important. Again and again, you will face you will come face to face with those who want you to believe a different gospel, who will want you to believe a different uh, reality about yourself, who will tell you, trust in yourself, follow your heart. That's the Disney gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel that pervades our culture. And so be on guard, young people and older people, all of us, be on guard because there is a proclamation of the self that is always a temptation for you. And so you must be on guard. And what Paul gives us is really a, a reorientating, a, a, all right, that gospel out there is, is constantly bombarding you, but there is a gospel that is to be believed, a gospel in which you are to find hope. And that is, Paul says, Again and again in our passage, Christ is proclaimed. What gospel are you going to believe? Paul's focus in this passage, I think, is so vital for us. Christ is proclaimed. He says that's why he's in chains. It is for Christ that he has faced the chains of imprisonment. Christ is proclaimed. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going out the gospel of the believer's union with Christ, and his death and resurrection, the whole of the gospel is going forth, the gospel of the transforming 
recreating desires and affections changing work of Christ. Have you ever been to an IMAX movie? Have you ever seen an IMAX movie before? That screen that is massive, it engulfs you. And, and the, the point of that screen is, is to draw your attention, keep your eyesight on what is before you in a way that not even a normal movie theater screen can do. That's really what Paul wants to do this morning in our passage. He wants to set you before an IMAX movie screen of Christ and him proclaimed. He is is looking out and he has found in the proclamation of Christ the, the grandest of mountains opening up so that all other gospels, all other proclamations of whatever it might be might look like nothing but mud and rock. I wonder, is the proclamation of Christ, of him and him crucified, is that sufficient for you? Is that sufficient for your satisfaction, believer, for your joy? Paul says, I rejoice in the proclamation of Christ. Where is your joy? Christ is proclaimed, Paul says. We can pull out a little bit more of the tape. Let's do that. Let's pull more of the tape now. Christ is proclaimed, and Paul goes on to say, he is proclaimed by the providence of God. By the providence of God, would you look with me again at verse 12? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's in chains for the gospel. We've talked about the difficulty he faces. And what does he say about the difficulty that he he faces? Does he say that it's merely a random series of events with no purpose? No. No. What has happened to me, he says, has really served to advance the gospel. Do you hear the tune of providence ringing out? Let's be clear. Nowhere in the passage does Paul actually use the word providence, but it, it runs beneath our passage and through our passage. It holds it together. We recited the Westminster Shorter Catechism this morning. There's another question and answer that speaks about the providence of God, and it says this. God's providence is his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. That's a good promise. The providence of God working out all his plan. The gospel is advancing. Christ is being proclaimed, and Paul sits in a prison. What's the connection? It's found for Paul in no one else but the sovereign God. The sovereign God who ordains the end from the beginning, who has not left his creation to accidental chance or blind fate. Praise the Lord. But that's not the truth. What has happened to Paul has really served to advance the gospel, he says. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? That, that son of Jacob, one of the 12. And somewhere along the way, Joseph, who is the favorite of his father, who gets the coat of many colors, and he is, uh, what happens to him? He's, 
He's sent into Egypt. He's sent into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him. Well, when it's all said and done, prison is not where uh, Joseph is going to end up. He ends up rising to number two in power in Egypt. And we find out as, the, the, as Genesis un, unfolds that he is, be, he is to become the only hope for preserving the covenant family. He's the only hope for preserving his family. There's, there's something he says at the very end of Genesis that I think is important. It speaks to our, our passage even. In Genesis 50, Joseph is speaking to his brothers and his brothers have come to him. They're afraid because they think here is his chance to take retaliation for us sending him into slavery. And so they're, they're cowering before him. He's become powerful, number two in all of Egypt, and they're cowering before him. And Joseph says these words. They're incredible. Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In those brief words, we have the doctrine of man's free will. The brothers acted on their own will and the doctrine of God's sovereign providence. They meant it for evil. God had other plans. And Paul says in our passage, they meant to to stop the gospel from going forth by putting me in chains. Stop preaching about Christ. They said, stop doing this. They thought by putting him in chains, that was it. What does he tell us? It has served to advance the gospel. So the providence of God is at work here. Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God. Even as we consider those who are preaching the gospel for false motives, even there we see the providence of God. He's protecting and preserving Christ who is proclaimed. Even by those who are preaching for, for bad motivations. there's any question about who would carry on Paul's work while he waits in prison, the providence of God answers the question for him. Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God. And the providence of God, believer, is, is meant to be for you a, a, a rock of protection, a rock of foundation for you. God is providential even over the, the mundane moments of life that seem disconnected and seem to go haywire at times. His protecting and preserving all his creation and all their actions, as, as difficult as that might be for us to understand at times, and, and at times it may come into conflict with other parts of, of our understanding of, of, of the gospel or of faith, And yet, it is true that God is sovereign and he is protecting and preserving. He is providentially caring for all things. He has decreed the end from the beginning. He is at work and he is bringing all things together for good. He's working all things together for good. Doesn't he say that to Paul in Romans 8? Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God. Now let's pull the tape a little bit more and we'll come to... the the full message of our passage, Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God 
for the confidence of believers. Once again, would you look with me at verse 12? Paul begins, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This congregation in Philippi, they love Paul dearly and and likely because of his chains, they are in anguish. They're in despair. And Paul says, I, I want you to know. And he's writing this for their, for their minds that they might have fuller knowledge, that they might know and that they might believe, that they might believe that it has really served to advance the gospel, that Christ is proclaimed and God is providential, and this is for their confidence. There's powerful gospel irony here. Paul is in prison. Those he writes to are not in prison. And the man in prison is writing to bolster the confidence of those who have freedom. And in what are the people that have confidence? He says, don't have confidence in your freedom. He says, the reason for confidence is God is at work. Christ is proclaimed. He doesn't draw attention to the situation of the people. He doesn't even draw attention to his own situation. All of his sight is set on Christ. Christ is proclaimed. Look to that, believer, he says. Find your hope in that, he says. Not in your freedom, not in your ability to move freely about in society or or whatever it might be. Take hope. Have confidence. Christ is being proclaimed. The gospel is going forth. God is at work. This is for their confidence. He says, look at who your Lord is. He is good, and he is protecting and preserving. He is a sovereign God who is in control, who is the real governor of all things. Not these these rulers who have put him in prison. Not them. They're not in control. It is the Lord. He also says, look at what he is doing. He is working out his eternal plan. The plan from before the the foundation of the world. Christ would be proclaimed to the salvation of souls from the little geographical pushpin known as Jerusalem. Goes out the gospel of Christ to every people, tribe, and nation. It's a hard soils like even Afghanistan. The gospel is going forth. Look at how he's raising up both servants to preach Christ, Paul says. Look at how he's protecting and preserving the true gospel. Christ has proclaimed. I wonder if you've ever um, noticed a movie scene. That movie scene where two people are in a car and they're driving. And they're talking while they're driving. And, and as the scene unfolds, the driver is looking at the passenger and you realize a few moments in, about the same time the passenger does, hey, look, look ahead. Would you look ahead while you're driving, please? And about the same time the passenger says that, you're, whew, you're relieved. Driver finally looks and they nearly miss an oncoming vehicle. Aren't we like that driver sometimes? Don't we get distracted? Don't we get our eyesight pulled from what it should be? Don't we look where we shouldn't look? Don't we need reminders about where we ought to be looking? We get distracted and focused on something or someone else. And as Christians, we forget to look at the person 
upon whom we ought to be looking always. There are real concerns that you face daily. Car keys get lost. Rising prices maybe mean the, a bill or two has to go unpaid. There's sickness. Perhaps waiting for something lingers longer than, than we f- think we can handle. I'm not making light of these things. Christ doesn't make light of, th- of these things. He says, in this life, you will face trials and tribulations. But then he says, in the Lord's own words, he says, in this world, you will have tribulations. And then he adds, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christ himself in his ministry to his followers says, look at me. He says, look at me. I'm going to be proclaimed. I am being proclaimed. I'm proclaiming myself, he says. Look to Christ, he says. I think, uh, I think maybe every time that I've, I've been with you and had the chance to um, bring God's word, I've, I think I've always included a, um, maybe an illustration or something from Lord of the Rings. I apologize. I don't always, in all my sermons, uh, maybe it's just going to work out that, always, that I end up. Um, but in, in the Lord of the Rings, uh, a story written by J.R.R. Tolkien, there is this steward of Gondor. His name is Denethor. And he is not the king of Gondor, but he's the steward taking care of it. And he is charged with protecting Gondor. And right beside Gondor is this Mordor where evil is rising and darkness is taking over. And Denethor, instead of preparing his soldiers and his men to face the oncoming enemy, he caves himself up in this little room with something called a palantir. You don't need to remember that, but a palantir is this globe-like thing, and it sort of functions like a Middle-earth cell phone or FaceTime, right? There are a number of palantirs. There's at least three or four of them in the world, and you can talk through them. You can see another person through them. So whoever has the palantirs, they can communicate. And Denethor doesn't... um, realize that the enemy knows he has a palantir. Denethor keeps uh, sitting in this, in this little, little room with his palantir, and he thinks that he's getting all the information from the enemy about the plans for the attack. And so he just he focuses all of his energy on spending time thinking about considering the enemy and the plans being made. He doesn't know that the enemy knows he has it and is feeding him wrong information. And along the way, Denethor begins to be driven mad with anxiety to, to, to think that this enemy cannot be beaten. And so instead of doing what he's supposed to be doing, his eyesight, his focus has been on the wrong thing. And again, brothers and sisters, aren't we given to that temptation? Aren't we given to... to to allow ourselves, and, and um, I know that anxiety is a is a is a real uh, a real thing, um, um, even a um, it's a real disease. I'm not downplaying anxiety or, or whatever, but but 
Where are we keeping our eyesight? And where are we finding our hope? Are we holed up with a palantir, hearing all the, seeing all the evil and terrible things, and is that driving us mad? Are we keeping our eyesight where it ought to be? And Paul says, look to Christ. Look to him proclaimed. See the gospel going forth. See what he is doing and sending out the gospel. Where are you finding your satisfaction? Where are you clinging this morning? We're about to sing in a few minutes the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. It's a sweet hymn, a sweet words. What is your hope built on? Paul says, keep your eyes on Christ. On Christ and him crucified. On Christ and his proclamation as it goes forth. Even as it goes forth from this pulpit, week in and week out by your, by your minister, Eric. Where are you looking? Where are you finding your joy? And what is your hope built? Paul says, train your hearts to always be able to say, Christ is proclaimed by the providence of God for the confidence of believers. For my confidence, Christ is proclaimed. That is all, Paul says. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we praise your name for your word. We thank you for giving us this, uh, this hope. Thank you for giving us this foundation on which we can stand. Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. Father, would you help us to believe it? Would you help us to find our joy, as Paul did, in Christ, in the proclamation of the gospel? Would you help us as we sort through the many messages that we must face, the many voices that pull for our attention? Would you help us to keep our eyes, our hearts, looking to Christ, confident in Christ? Would you give us confidence in Christ? We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen.